Thank you so much, Daryl. I appreciate that prayer this morning. Very appropriate as we look back this morning at the Gospel of John. If you're visiting with us this morning, we have spent the last two years looking at the Gospel of John. We have gone through the Gospel of John these last two years, verse by verse, passage by passage, through the entire Gospel. It's taken us a while but I think it's been well worth it. The Word of God is always well worth it. And one of the things I will always remember about the Gospel of John is that it brought us through the two hard years of COVID and how there were so many struggles. But the Word of God encouraged us and the word of God sustained us. And whatever we face in the future, it'll always be so. God's word is alive, it is living and active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And it always encourages us, and it always sustains us. So since we spent so long in this gospel, I want to take this Sunday just to look back. Next Sunday, I will begin a brand new series of Christmas messages. But today, I wanted to take this one Sunday and just look back. Last week, we looked at John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. We ended the Gospel of John. And now, I just want us to get a big picture, look back. What did we learn? What was important in the Gospel of John? And so I wanted to pick out a passage of Scripture that I think exemplifies the entire Gospel. Now, there's many different ones that... I could have chosen. I mean, for many of you, a favorite is John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that whole passage. There are other places that we could have gone. But I have chosen John chapter 7 and verses 37 through 39. There is something about these verses that, to me, describe the entire gospel of John. In John 7, verses 37 through 39, we read this, and it's speaking of Jesus. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, our first point this morning is the great invitation. Our passage this, or in our passage this morning, Jesus proclaims one of the greatest invitations found in the entire Bible. I love this invitation. It is an invitation to the world. And the Gospel of John is written to the world. And that's important to remember. The audience is considered the whole world. And it says in verse 37, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up. And I want you to notice He didn't just speak these words. He cried them out. He spoke them loudly. Let him come. If, excuse me, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, if you remember back with me 
to John chapter 4. If you think of John chapter 4, think of the woman at the well. And so Jesus is taking the message that he shared with the woman at the well, and now he is sharing it with everyone. And this particular passage has a very interesting background. I preached on this passage. I look back. It was a little over a year ago. So some of you may remember this. Maybe some of you don't. But the background is interesting. It says, on the last day of the feast, it is speaking of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated every year by the children of Israel where they would remember their wilderness wanderings for 40 years, how God guided them for 40 years, how he provided for them. And so what they would do for seven days is they would prepare out of palm branches little huts or houses that they would temporarily live in just to remind them that week that their ancestors had wandered in the wilderness and God had always been there for them. And then on the eighth day, which was called the great day, which is when this takes place, on the great day they had this important celebration, this important time of remembrance. What would happen is the high priest at that time would come and he would take a golden pitcher to the pool of Siloam. And all the people would be gathered there. And he would dip the pitcher, the water pitcher, into the pool. And he would pour it on the altar. And when he poured that water on the altar, it was to remind all the people gathered there that God brought water from the rock at Meribah. That God, in providing for his people in their wilderness wanderings, had even brought water from a rock. And then together, as he poured out that water, the entire group gathered there, like the entire congregation would recite Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. Our God cared for us and provided for us because he is a God of salvation. And then after that, they would recite together what is known as the Great Hallel. And the Great Hallel is actually a reciting of Psalms 113 through Psalms 118. That designation may even be found in your Bibles, that great section in the Psalms. So they would recite that together. And then the people would walk around the altar seven times. And they walked around the altar seven times to remind them that the children of Israel in the land of Canaan, when they first entered it, walked around the walls of Jericho seven times until on the seventh time the walls of Jericho fell down. And when the walls of Jericho came down, it was the end. It was the official end of their wilderness wanderings they would now Inhabit the land of Canaan. And so Jesus picks this time. He chooses this time to say to the people, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now there are three action words here. Three verbs. Thirst, come, and drink. 
And folks, I want you to know this morning, this is the gospel. This is just another way of restating the gospel. If anyone is thirsty. And I say to you who are gathered here this morning and those of you who are watching by live stream, if your soul is thirsty, this is not talking about actual water, but the thirst of the soul. If you are thirsting because you feel in bondage to your sins, if you are thirsting because your life feels like it's empty, that it's meaningless, that you don't know where you are going, where you are headed, what your purpose is. Maybe you have gone through all kinds of difficulties and challenges in your life, and you don't know where to turn. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, he says, come. And notice what he says. He says, let him come to me. I want you to know this morning that Jesus does not just give us salvation. He does not just give us living water. He is the living water. He is our salvation. It is not just something outside of him that he gives to us. He is our salvation. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I love that. Let him come to me and drink. The word drink here is a synonym for the word believe. It is a synonym for the word receive. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Jesus and believe and receive him as Savior in Lord. Invite him to come into your life to know him as Savior and as Lord. This is what it means to believe. It means to be thirsty. It means to come to Jesus. It means to invite him into your life, to sit on the throne of your life and take control of your life. And then in verse 38, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What a statement. If you believe in Jesus, out of your heart, in your inward being will flow rivers of living water. Living water is eternal life. It is abundant life. It is joy in the Lord. It is the contentment and fulfillment and satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus himself. You will be different no matter what type of suffering or hardship you go through, you will have living waters. Rivers of living water flowing through you. You will have the very Son of God living in you by means of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice he doesn't say that it'll be a pitcher of water. He doesn't say it will be a well of water. He says it will be rivers of living water. Water, an endless, abundant supply of living water that can only be found in Jesus. This is exactly what he told the woman at the well. He pointed to the well where they met together and said, If you drink from this water, you will thirst. You will thirst again and again and again. But in John chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, will never 
be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. That's exactly what he's saying at the Feast of Tabernacles on the eighth day, the great day. He is saying the same exact thing. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and you will have rivers of living water welling up within you. Well, everything that Jesus promises in verses 37 and 38 will be fulfilled when he sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of those who believe. This is all pointing forward to the day of Pentecost, that great day. And that's one of the reasons I chose this passage of Scripture to describe the entire Gospel of John. Because the last third of the Gospel of John is Jesus pointing pointing to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 39. Notice verse 39. Now, this he said about the Spirit, capital S, which means Holy Spirit. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so when we get toward the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. The Helper, the Holy Spirit is coming. I am going to leave. I am going to go away. No longer will I physically be with you. But that's a good thing. Because I'm going to go to the Father and then I'm going to send the Helper back to you. And the Holy Spirit is going to come to you and he's going to live in you. And by means of the Holy Spirit, I am going to live in you forever. And I will be with you wherever you go and whatever you do. And we see this amazingly fulfilled. Well, first, before I get to that, I just wanted to mentioned that Jesus really emphasized this in the upper room discourse, especially in chapters 14 through 16. He told them as he met with the disciples in the upper room, as they celebrated the last Passover supper, which became the Lord's Supper, he tells them the helper is coming. I'm going away, men, but I'm coming to you by means of the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 7. I wanted to mention this verse. This is what he says in the upper room. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I am going to die. I am going to rise again. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. We saw all of that in the Gospel of John. And then, and then the Holy Spirit will come. And if we were to fast forward to the book of Acts, especially chapters 1 and 2, and in chapter 2 we see the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit as Jesus' disciples are gathered in a different upper room together. And it says that the Holy Spirit came with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. 
And the Spirit was like tongues of fire that came down and rested on each and every one of them. And what an important day that was. For from then forward, every person who believes and receives Jesus as Lord and Savior has the Holy Spirit come and live with them and indwell them permanently. And on that day, the day of Pentecost, when those tongues of fire came and rested on them, they went out and they proclaimed Jesus' death and resurrection as the only means of salvation, and they did it with great power and authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says on that day that 3,000 souls were added to the church. And Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Well, our second point this morning is the Gospel of John. I just want us to think through the Gospel of John together before we move on as a church. The Gospel of John easily and naturally breaks down into four parts. I have those four parts for you in the bulletin. I just want to go over each of them briefly. The prologue, the great introduction of the Gospel of John is found in chapter 1. It's especially the first 18 verses, but a good way just to remember is the prologue is chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then John goes on to describe this Jesus who is very God of God. He is God in the flesh, the great God-man. And then the rest of the Gospel of John describes him. The second part of the Gospel of John is the signs or miracles of Jesus, which is found in chapters 2 through 12. And as we move through chapters 2 through 12, we saw seven miracles of Jesus. Remember that about the Gospel of John. There are seven miracles. And so this section is known sometimes as the Book of Signs or the Book of Miracles, It is the signs or miracles of Jesus. Let me briefly go back over those miracles again. There was the changing of water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee in chapter 2. In chapter 4, there was the healing of the royal official or the government official's son. He comes to Jesus and says, my son is at the point of death. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. Didn't even go to his home. So the man went home. When he got home, his servants tell him that his son is completely healed. And he goes, what time was it? And they said it was the seventh hour, which is about one in the afternoon. That was the exact time that Jesus said, go, your son will live. From a great distance, he heals this boy. The third miracle was the healing of the parable excuse me, the healing of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. If you remember, the man was an invalid for 38 years. Jesus miraculously and instantaneously heals this man. He gets up and walks and takes his mat and goes. The fourth miracle is the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. The fifth miracle is walking on water again in John chapter 6. The sixth miracle is the healing of the man born blind in John chapter 9. And if you remember, that's a very significant, very significant miracle. 
People were crying out, we've never seen the healing of a man born blind who has given complete good sight. And then the seventh miracle is the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. But what's important about this second part of the book is that each of these miracles become a flashpoint, a confrontation with the Jewish religious leaders. And we saw that over and over again in chapters 2 through 12, Jesus confronted by the Jewish religious leaders because he was claiming to be God, because he was healing on the Sabbath. And it is a great section of Scripture proving, verifying that Jesus is fully God, that he's one with the Father, that he's in complete harmony with the Father, that he only does what the Father tells him to do. He only does what the Father commands him to do. And then the third part of the Gospel of John is called the glory of Jesus, and that is chapters 13 through 20. In chapters 13 through 17, we have the upper room discourse, which I just mentioned. Jesus meeting with his disciples. He turns from the crowd to his disciples and instructs them. And then in chapters 18 through 20, we have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But in all of those chapters, chapters 13 through 20, God the Father is bringing great glory to God the Son. And as we learned multiple times, Jesus' greatest glory ironically came at the cross when he took upon himself all of our sins and was thoroughly and completely punished in our place and then three days later rose victoriously from the grave. And so it's called the glory of Jesus because it's at this time that Jesus tells of his glory and it's at this time that the Father glorifies the Son. And then the fourth part of the Gospel of John is called the Epilogue and that would be chapter 21. We just went over that the last couple of weeks. Chapter 21 answers the question, whatever happened to Peter after he denied Jesus three times? And the Bible says that he then went out and wept bitterly. Whatever happened to Peter? Well, in chapter 21, we see Jesus provide a miraculous catch of fish, and then we see Peter's restoration. And that's what we looked at all of last week, was Peter's restoration by his gentle shepherd, Jesus. So those are the four parts of the Gospel of John. The prologue, the section of signs and miracles, the section of the glory of Jesus, and then the epilogue. And then there are four major themes of the Gospel of John. I want to share four major things that stand out. Now, these are just my thoughts. I didn't go to a book and look for the four major themes. And you may think of something other than what I'm going to share with you. But these are four things that really, I think, exemplify the whole gospel of John. Four major themes. First, it is written so that you might believe. The gospel of John is written so that people might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It is one of the most evangelistic books of the Bible. Often books of the Bible 
are written to instruct God's people who already know him as Savior. They certainly can be used for evangelism, and there are sections that use, are used for evangelism, but this is perhaps the most evangelistic book of the Bible. And we saw in chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31, this isn't going to be on the screen, but you may remember it right offhand, the purpose of the Gospel of John is in John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus did a lot of miracles, but these miracles... The miracles he did and the teachings he did in the Gospel of John, these are written specifically so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have eternal life in his name. So that's the first major theme. The second major theme is the deity of Jesus Christ. Perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, the Gospel of John teaches us that Jesus is fully God. He's not secondary to God the Father. He's not a God. He is the second person, excuse me, of the triune Godhead. Fully God in every way. And that's what he shared with the Jewish religious leaders, that's where they stumbled. And I want you to know this morning that as we look back over the last 2,000 plus years of church history, some of the greatest heresies, some of the greatest false teachings that have ever affected the church have been those teachers who denied the full deity of Jesus Christ. And I will go so far to say this morning, if you don't believe Jesus is fully God, you can't be saved. Only God can save you. Only God in the flesh, God incarnate, can save you. Only God incarnate can die for your sins and rise from the dead. The deity of Jesus Christ is extremely important. And there is no other book of the Bible that teaches it as strongly as the Gospel of John. Now, there are other sections that are important. Excuse me. I think of Colossians chapter 1. Verses 15 through 23, that great section on the preeminence of Christ. But an entire book that teaches this so strongly is the Gospel of John. The strongest book on this teaching anywhere in Scripture. The third major theme for me has to be the seven I am statements. The seven I am statements that tell us so much about who Jesus is and what he means to us. It's interesting, and this may be just a little tidbit here as you think of the Gospel of John. There are seven miracles and there are seven I am statements. Seven miracles, seven I am statements. Let me briefly go over those I am statements. I preached on each and every one of them as we went through the Gospel of John. But Jesus says, excuse me, he says, I am the bread of life, John chapter 6. 
He says, I am the light of the world, John chapter 8. He says, I am the door of the sheep, John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, John chapter 14. And he says, I am the true vine, John chapter 15. And I hope I am the true vine has special meaning for you because as a church, we sought to memorize John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11 together as a church body. But these seven statements talk or teach us the all-sufficiency of Christ. They teach us that he is our Savior not only for salvation, but for sanctification, for every aspect of our growth in the Christian life. And the third theme leads us to the fourth theme. And that fourth theme, which to me may be the most important, and that is simply this. Jesus is everything. He is everything. Folks, we're not part of a religion. We are part of the person of Jesus Christ. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a King who is seated on the throne. We serve a Savior who by means of the Holy Spirit lives in each and every one of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He is not only your salvation, he is your abundant life, he is your joy, he is your comfort, he is your strength, he is your peace, and on and on we could go. Jesus is everything. And the Jesus who is everything says to every single person here this morning, every single person watching by live stream, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not sure even what that means. We invite you, come to Jesus and drink. Believe in him. Receive him as Lord and Savior. If you want to talk about that more, I invite you to talk with maybe one of the pastors. Pastor Chad is the one who did the announcements this morning. Pastor Mike was the one who was leading us in music this morning. You can talk to me. Our fourth pastor, Pastor Dan, is on vacation, but the other three of us are here, or maybe you'd prefer to talk to someone who brought you this morning. But if you don't know what it means to truly come to Jesus, ask us. We'd love to help you. But for all the rest of us, the invitation, the great invitation is primarily for salvation, but I believe it also has application for every aspect of your life. If you are a high school or college student here this morning, maybe you are wrestling with what is the meaning of life. What is my purpose in life? What does God want me to do with my life? Is my faith real, or am I just believing what my parents told me to believe? I say to all of you high school and college students, Come to Jesus and drink. You will find those answers in him. If you are an older single adult and you're struggling with why am I not married yet and you have the unique challenges of being single, you don't have a partner, 
I say, come to Jesus and drink. Maybe you're a single mom or a single father here, and you have some of the greatest challenges in all of life, and sometimes you just feel so helpless and so challenged. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, if you're thirsty, come to him and drink. If you're married here this morning, maybe your marriage isn't everything you'd like it to be. Maybe you wish there were more joy, more fulfillment. Maybe you're thirsting for more in your marriage. You thought it would be more than this. I say to you, the answer's not found in a self-help book. It's found in Jesus. If you're thirsty, come to him and drink. If you're an older adult, maybe struggling with the aches and pains of this life, and the frustrations of not being able to do what you used to do and having to depend on other people more than you used to, I say if you're thirsty, come to him and drink. Folks, Jesus is everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of John. We thank you that Jesus is God. We thank you that Jesus is the source of living water, eternal life. We thank you that Jesus is the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way and the truth and the life, and the true vine. We thank you. Father, we thank you that Jesus is everything. And in his name we pray. Amen.